God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Have you heard that saying? That's a well-known, well-loved saying amongst Christians that reminds us about a core conviction that we have as believers that God is good. You'll sometimes hear it said when there's a, a real answer to prayer or there's a real positive outcome or fruit born from a ministry. We'll say God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Sometimes we'll say it to remind each other about the goodness of God. Remember that God is good all the time. And then the response, all the time, God is good. It's important for us to be reminded of and to remember the fact that God is good. He's good to us. In the trials and in the troubles of life, what happens is we sometimes forget about God's goodness. Sometimes under the pressures we face and the problems we encounter, uh, we, we not only forget about God's goodness, sometimes we don't feel like God is good. I mean, we maybe know that it's true in our minds, but don't feel it in our hearts. We need regularly to be reminded about the goodness of God. This is something that the psalmist referred to, David, when he, when he, he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. In other words, he's like, remember, remember soul, remember self. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. It's no small thing, of course, to remember the goodness of God, to feel something of the goodness of God. After all, Jesus said, the most important commandment is that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. I mean, you, you can't love God with everything you have and be emotionally detached or to be without the feeling, the, the felt experience of the goodness of God. It's important that we remember that God is good, not only the truth of it, but to know it in terms of our experience. The problem we have, though, is that sometimes we just, we, we, we run into these issues, don't we, where we forget about God's goodness or we don't feel it. And so it might leave us wondering, well, how is it then that we remember the goodness of God? I mean, it's one thing for us to verbally remind each other that God is good. But in the midst of life, storms and trials and troubles, sometimes we need more than just a, a reminder that God is good. We need we need God to remind us. We need God to remind us in our hearts, in our minds of his own goodness. And I think that's one of the reasons why our scripture text today is for us such a treasure. Because it's the inspired word of God reminding us about his goodness. You know, when Paul wrote to his young disciple, Timothy, he wrote to a, a man, Timothy, who was a pastor under pressure. Timothy's ministry assignment, it was a difficult one. He was pastor in the church at Ephesus. And uh, in Ephesus, he faced the, the church there faced tremendous opposition from the outside. And as a pastor, he also had to deal with problems on the inside. There was false teachers that had wormed their way into the church and were gaining influence and misleading the people. And Timothy's call was to not only help this church to be faithful in a difficult setting as believers, but also he had to confront and correct false teachers. And that would take a tremendous amount of, of courage. He was, he was a pastor 
under pressure. And you know what pressure does to you, right? Pressure can discourage you. Uh, pressure drains you. It can make you feel overwhelmed. And one of the things it can do is it can cause you to forget something that we must not forget, that God is good all the time. So what did Paul do for Timothy? Paul reminded Timothy about the goodness of God. And to do it, Paul used his own testimony to remind Timothy of the glorious reality that God is good. And I think that this testimony, this text, can help you and I to be reminded not only the fact of God's goodness, but also to be refreshed about the feeling of the fact that God is good. And I want you to see that text. Would you turn with me in your, in your Bible to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1? 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 12 to 17. We're talking about the fact today that, that God is good, and it's under the banner of this series that we're in called Exalting in the Greatness and the Goodness of God. We are exalting in God. We want to delight in Him. We want to rejoice in Him this month as a church. And so we're, we're turning our attention to uh, this month to four different New Testament doxologies. Remember what a doxology is? We said last week that a doxology is really, it's an ascription of praise unto God. It's an expression of worship unto him. When we read these doxologies, we often read phrases like we'll read today about ascribing glory and honor to God and to his son, the Lord Jesus. And that's what we have in our text today. Now, as we read this, of course, we remember again, this Paul writing to Timothy, and he's just charged him with this real, well, this, this he's just reminded him of his charge as a pastor to pastor the church, and part of leading that church is going to involve courageous confrontation of false teachers. And then by way of encouragement, Paul reminds, begins to remind Timothy about the goodness of God to him in Christ. And here's what Paul says. This is his own testimony. He says in verse 12, 1 Timothy 1, verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's a note of thanksgiving, isn't it? Because he judged he, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. What, what, when was that? When was that in Paul's life? Well, before he was a believer. He was an opposer of Christianity. He, he was no different than some of these false teachers that, that Timothy was going to have to deal with. But Paul's reminding him about the goodness of God that transformed his life and can transform the lives of others. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. In other words, listen to, you know this saying, Timothy, listen to this saying. What is it? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Verse 16, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, in other words, as the foremost of sinners, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life to the king of the ages immortal invisible the only god be honor and glory forever and ever 
Amen. This is Paul's testimony. Now, the, the details of his testimony might be different than your testimony, but the reality is, is that the, the goodness of God that Paul experienced is of the same kind of goodness. There's the same goodnesses that you and I experience too when we believe in Jesus. See, Paul had his own experience with God that was particular to him, just like you and I have our own experiences with God that's particular to us. But what we have in common is a shared experience of God's goodness. And in this text here, there's, there's, I want to show you four ways that Paul identifies that he experienced God's goodness, that you and I experience his goodness too when we love and follow Jesus. So we're going to look at God's goodness today, four ways in which we uh, have experienced the goodness of God, the way that we do experience God's goodness as we follow Jesus. All right, so, so what's the first way? Let me start with the first way. It's, it, it's, it comes to us in verse 12. Notice again what it says. Paul says, I thank him, talking about Jesus, I thank him who's given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now, Paul had a particular calling as an apostle. Both he and Timothy had the, this these uh, important gospel ministries. They were entrusted with the gospel message. But you know something? You and I are called into his service as well. We are servants of the Most High King. And that's the first way that I, I see here that God has been good to us. In that he gives us eternally significant purpose. God gives you and he gives me. When we love and follow Jesus, he gives us eternally significant purpose purpose. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, for we, talk about believers, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Isn't that an amazing verse? God's got stuff for you to do. He's got an assignment for you in this life. In fact, for many of you, he's got many assignments. But he's got a calling in your life, a great grand calling for you to, to serve him, to be on mission to, for him. Remember, Jesus gave us our mission, didn't he? He said to make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. If you are in Jesus, then you are part of something much bigger than yourself. And you're called to a great, glorious, eternally significant mission. You've got a great purpose. And God gives that to you. You know, one of the most important questions that every person has is, why am I here? What's, what's my purpose? In fact, you know, some, some thinkers, Christian thinkers, would, would argue that there's, there's four questions that every human being in every place and every culture has. A question of our origin, from where did I come? A question of our destiny, where am I going? A question of morality, what is right, what is wrong? And then a question of purpose. Now, when you're a follower of Jesus, all of these are answered for you. Where am I from? I'm created by God. I, I come from him. Where am I going? There's an eternal future ahead of me. And, and it matters that I follow Jesus. What's In terms of morality, we find those answers in the word of God. Purpose? If you were in Jesus, you've got an eternally significant purpose. You, you're not call, you, you have a reason for getting up this morning. You've got a reason for living. 
God has called you to mission. You're a servant of the high king. In Christ, we not only discover our true purpose, but we also find that it's the highest of all purposes to serve God, to be on mission for him. In fact, as long as there's people in our neighborhood, in our community that don't know Jesus, then we got a purpose. As long as there's Christians who need encouraging and edifying and teaching and helping, then we, we've got a purpose. We've got a ministry. Every one of us have different gifts that God has given us. Every one of us have different talents and different strengths. But here's the thing. Each of us, whether an evangelist or a teacher or a helper or a mercy giver or an encourager or someone with strong faith, whether we work on the front lines or behind the scenes, every one of us has a purpose, and that's to serve to serve God. And he calls us to that. And listen, there's nothing in all the world as exhilarating as serving God because we get a front row seat to seeing him touch lives. And he uses people like us to do it. And for Paul, that was a reminder about the goodness of God. We see the goodness of God in that he gives us eternally significant purpose. The king of heaven has called you into his service. Are you serving him today? Are you living life on purpose? I hope so, because it's one of the ways that you will experience God's goodness. And that's where Paul begins, thanking the Lord Jesus for appointing him to his service. But you know what? No sooner had Paul expressed thanksgiving for the fact that he was called into the Lord's service, that he also remembered the fact that he didn't always serve the Lord. In fact, if you know Paul's story, you know that at one time he opposed the Lord. In fact, he persecuted the church and he tried to do everything he could to stop the Lord's work. And that's what he's reminded of. That's what he speaks to, sorry, in verse 13. He gets done talking about being thankful for being called to the service. And then he says, but I'm called to serve the Lord, even though, verse 13, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. He's like, you know, at one time I worked against the Lord. I, I was a blasphemer. In other words, I was somebody who diminished the person of Christ. I denied the deity of Jesus. I rejected the message of the cross. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I'm one who opposed Christians. The first time we meet Paul in scripture, he is there on hand approving of and overseeing the murder of a believer. He was a persecutor. He was an insolent opponent. He violently, violently and proudly opposed the Lord's people and the Lord's work. He was an enemy of Christ and a denier of the faith. He was, as one, as one commentator put it, as one commentator put it, he said he was a prime candidate for judgment. But what did, but what did Paul receive instead of judgment? He received mercy. And that's what he says here. Though for, formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy. Because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. In other words, in my unbelief, I acted ignorantly. I did things that now I'm so ashamed of doing. But instead of judging me, God showed me mercy. And for many of you watching and listening today, you say, that's my story too, isn't it? That, that's your story. God has not condemned you, but God has forgiven you. God has shown you mercy. He has rescued you from sin. You, you stood condemned before him, but through Christ, he's forgiven you and he's freed you from bondage to sin and blindness to the way that you should go. And this is the, the second way in this text that we see God's goodness. He gives us, firstly, eternally significant purpose. Now, secondly, he gives us soul-saving mercy. Soul-saving mercy through Jesus. 
Mercy has to do with God's kind response to our miserable state. When, when someone experiences mercy, they've been given that in a state of misery. I saw, I saw a video, I think it was this week or last week, of a, a Peel police officer showing mercy to an animal. There was a skunk that somehow, someway got a container uh, stuck on its face, on its snout. And can you imagine, I mean, this little critter, it's not going to last long if it can't, if it's got this container, it won't be able to eat, it won't be able to drink. And in this video, this Peel police officer was doing his best to try to get this container off of this animal. Now, if you've had any dealings with skunks, you know that that's, I mean, that is not a pleasant task because even though you're trying to help the thing, it probably thinks you're trying to hurt it. And you know what skunks do when they're scared? Well, this, this hero cop, he hung in there and with a lot of courage and fortitude, he was able to get hold of that container and get it off that skunk's head. And then he ran <laughs> and so did the skunk the other way. I don't know how he smelt, but I know that he did a good deed. He, he, he was merciful to that animal. That animal was in a miserable condition and he showed that animal mercy. Well, listen, there isn't any creature in all of creation that was in a more of a miserable condition than you and I were when we were in sin. There was a time, if you were in Jesus today, then you know there was a time when you were blind to the truth. You were lost in terms of what is the right way. You were in bondage to sin. Uh, you were condemned before a holy God. But what happened to you is the greatest thing that could ever happen. God showed you mercy. He, when, when you're, in terms of your lostness, he came and found you. In terms of your bondage, he set you free. In terms of your blindness, he opened your eyes to see. In terms of your condemnation, he forgave you and cleansed you and counted you righteous. In what kind of misery were you when God found you? I was thinking of this this week, this weekend here, we're baptizing a new believer. And as uh, I had the great privilege of sharing with him the good news about Jesus and in our conversations together, he, he, um, and by the way, too, I should say that he, he reached out to us through our website. I should say that because we say this almost every week that, Hey, we'd love to hear from you, pray for you, tell you more about following Jesus. And, and this dear, dear brother in Christ, that's how he got connected with us is, is hearing that is, is sorry, going to our website and, and scrolled to the bottom of the page and filled out the form on our website and let us know that he wanted to know more about Jesus. And that led to conversations about Jesus. And, and uh, I think probably our most important conversation, he said to me something like this. He said, I don't want to walk in darkness anymore. I want to know the truth. And we opened up the Bible and we read John chapter 8 and verse 12, where Jesus said these words. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And he said, that's it. That's what I want. I want this Jesus. I want to walk in the light, something like that. And that, this, and this is, this is what, what the Lord did for him as he shone the, the light of the truth for him. He opened his eyes to see not only his need for Jesus, but the sufficiency of Jesus to save him, enabled him to see that if I've got Jesus, then I'm walking in the truth and I'm walking in the light. And that's what the Lord's done for many of you too, hasn't it? And, and I want you to know today that if you're contemplating Jesus, if you're considering the claims of Christ to know this, that you can experience that kind of mercy too, to know the truth and to know him and to know, your, to know not only your purpose, but also your destiny. 
that your destiny is secure with him. Our friend Misha found mercy, just like I have found mercy, just like you have. And Paul said, just like many of you have, and Paul said, you know, this is, this is a, a great, he shows us here, this is one of, the, one of the ways that God demonstrates his goodness to us. He shows his goodness to us. This is one of the ways we experience his goodness, and that he gives us soul-saving mercy. He gives us eternally significant purpose, soul-saving mercy. And now third, he gives us life-changing grace. Did you notice that word grace in verse 14? Have a look at your Bible again. Verse 13, he says, But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Uh, God gives to us life changing grace. This is his goodness. We experience his goodness in that he gives us grace. And what is grace? Well, grace is a gift. Grace is that good that God gives us that he doesn't owe us, but he gives to us anyway out of his kindness. And uh, in this, and oftentimes we talk about grace, we think about God saving grace, how he saves us from sin. And, and surely that is indeed part of what Paul means here when he talks about the grace of our Lord overflowing. But not only that, he also talks about grace in terms of a gift. In terms of gifts, God giving us things to edify us, to, to help us, that are so life-changing for us. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now, faith here is talking about that vertical relationship between him and God, that trust in God, that hope in God. He, Paul says he gave that to me it, by grace. His grace overflowed, overflowed for me with faith. So, so God's got grace that overflowed for me. And as God's grace overflows and washes over me, what he gave me is faith. You see, faith is at the end of the day, a gift from God. If you believe in God, if you're hoping in him, you're there because of God. God granted you that. He grants us repentance. He grants us faith. And Paul recognized that. I, I, I've got faith in God because of God, because of his goodness. And not only that, he also has love, love for others. So faith speaks about the, that vertical relationship between the believer and God. Love is that horizontal relationship between us and, and others. It's that ministry of care. Think of you know, Paul's care for Timothy in writing this letter, his care for the church. Think about believers, genuine believers, genuine followers of Jesus Christ, love their brothers and sisters, and they've got broken hearts for a lost world. You know, this is a, a sign of a true believer is that they firstly believe in God, they hope in God, but secondly, they love one another. John says in 1 John 3 and 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. It's a, it's a, a sign of the fact that we are converted that we know the Lord, and it's God-given. You know, we say this sometimes that, you know, most of us in our church would, most of us would probably never hang out with each other. <laughs> we're, we're so different. We come from so many different backgrounds, have so many different interests. But we do hang out with each other. And in these, this COVID season, we've so missed each other because we love each other. And not with, a, not with sort of a, a worldly affection, but with a supernatural love that God has given us, where we love each other. We, we, are, we are bonded together in Christ. And it's a sign, it's a symbol of the fact that we actually know him. And it all is because of God's grace. It's a grace that changes our lives. God's grace saves us and God's grace changes us. 
He gives us life-changing grace. If you were in Jesus today, you were not the same person you once were. We say it sometimes around here that, listen, I'm not what I could be. I'm not what I should be, but I'm not what I was. Praise God, I'm not what I was. And why is that? It's because of God's grace to you, life-changing grace. And the changes that God brings in you as you grow in him, as you grow to know him better, as you are more and more equipped to serve him, as, you, as he ministers through you to have patience with people and to love people and to share hope with people, it's all evidence of his grace, his life-changing grace in your life. And it's a reminder of God's goodness. It's, a, it's one of the ways that God is good to us. Mercy, soul-saving mercy life-changing grace. Paul rejoiced in that. The grace of God that not only saves us, but changes us, reminds us that God is good. So he gives us eternally significant purpose, soul-saving mercy, life-changing grace. Now the fourth way that we see God's goodness here in this text is this. He makes our life a story of his glory. He makes our lives, he makes your life, he makes my life a story of of his glory. What do I mean by that? Well, look at the text and I'll show you. Verse 15, Paul gets done. He's just talked about, he's looked about where he once was, formerly a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent, or violent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in an unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He's got purpose, he's got soul-saving mercy, he's got life-changing grace, and now he says this, verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. So we've got good news about Jesus, that that first Christmas, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came into the world that first Christmas in order to die on the cross that first Easter, to pay for our sins. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is God's great redemption story. And then Paul says, talks about sinners, and he says, and I'm the foremost. Paul sees himself in, this, in God's story. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, verse 16, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. So he says, listen, God had a purpose in, he, he had a purpose in, in working the way he did in my life. Even though I'm a sinner, and Paul calls himself the foremost of the chief of sinners, even though I'm a sinner, I receive mercy for this reason, that God would use me as an example, as a picture, as a trophy of the great patience of Jesus. God is good to us in that he makes our life a story of his glory, an expression, a testimony to the glory of his great patience with sinners. If it weren't for the patience of God, you and I would have been finished long ago condemned to a lost eternity. But because of the great patience of Jesus, he's so patient. Because of his great patience, because of his great love, you and I, if you're in Christ, we stand today forgiven. We are trophies, trophies of his great patience. What's, what's a patience? What's a trophy? Well, a trophy is something, you know, you, you can, maybe you got a trophy at home there 
It's uh, maybe on display somewhere or, or uh, in a cabinet or something like that. What's a trophy do? Well, it, it's, it's there to, to say something, that you've accomplished something, that you've achieved something. Maybe I got a bowling trophy or, a, or something from archery. Or I know I, somewhere at home I got an honor camper trophy. I've just, just uh, when I got when I was a little kid, I was at camp for a couple of weeks and I didn't really enjoy it, but I was well behaved. And I got honor camper. And don't ask me why I still have it. Every time I go to throw it out, I just can't. Maybe I'm secretly proud of it. I don't know. But what does that trophy do? Well, it shows there's an accomplishment. I've achieved something. It represents something. It says something. It puts on display an achievement. It puts on display sometimes a quality of the person who earned it. You and I are trophies of the patience of Jesus in that when others look at us, they can see that there's hope for them too. Here's where I think Paul's going with this. I think Paul imagines he has in his mind somebody doubting that there's actually any hope for them. He, he probably envisions here somebody who looks at their life, looks at the shame in their life, looks at their past, looks at their foolish decisions, looks at their rebellion, and hears this good news about Jesus and recognizes, well, that, that, is, that sounds like good news for others, but surely it's too late for me. I've told you at Arendelle many times about a friend of mine that shared Jesus with, and, and it was a, a real stumbling block for him where he said, Ross, you don't understand. This is great to hear about Jesus dying on the cross and this message, but you don't understand. I've been through three marriages. I'm estranged from my kids. I've made stupid choices. I've wasted 60 years of my life. Surely it's too late for me. But the message of the gospel is, no, it's not too late for you. And Paul says, if, if ever you want encouragement to know that it's not too late for you, just look at me. I think that's where Paul's going here. Envision somebody who says, you know, I'm too far gone now. There's no hope for me. You just don't know where I've been and what I've done. And Paul says, well, listen, I maybe don't know where you've been and what you've done, but I know what I've done. I violently persecuted the church. I mocked and belittled the Savior. I was arrogant. I was pompous. I was proud. I was as far gone as you can imagine. I didn't just disbelieve, Paul says. I didn't just disbelieve the gospel. I opposed the gospel and railed against it. But God was merciful to me. He reached me in my miserable place. He was gracious to me. He gave me life and has changed me in ways that you could have never imagine. Christ Jesus was patient with me. He didn't write me off when anyone else would have. And he hasn't written you off either. God dealt with me like he did so that you could know there's hope for you too. And listen, this is what God does through you and me. Through our stories of coming to faith in Jesus, others get to hear not only of the hope that's found in Christ, but also they can see for themselves that, hey, listen, us as believers, we're sinners too. And he saved us, so there's hope for you. There's hope for anyone who would turn to Jesus. And that's something I want you to know today, that there's hope for you. Hope for you too if you'd turn away from yourself and look to Jesus and trust in him. But dear Christian, understand that one of the ways that God is good to us is he takes our lives, messy as they are, and he turns them into stories of his glory to say, look what I can do. Look at the power that I've got. Look at the grace that I've got. Look at the mercy I've got. Look at the patience that I have for sinners. Jesus Christ displays his perfect patience through us imperfect people. So we've seen here four ways that God is good, and he is good, isn't he? We've seen that We've seen his, uh, his goodness in that he gives us uh, eternal 
eternally significant, an eternally significant purpose. He gives us soul-saving mercy. He gives us life-changing grace. And he makes our life into a story of his glory. And when Paul reflects on all of God's goodness in his life, and reflects on where he was and where God has brought him. And, re, and, and, and as he reviews this for Timothy, what does he do then? He worships, doesn't he? He worships. Verse 17, in view of God's goodness, he says, To the king of the ages, he's the king. So one time, one time I was a rebel going my own way, but now I have laid down my arms at, at the invitation of the king, and I have submitted to his kingship. To the king of the ages. There's, there's, there's kings and rulers for a day, for an hour. But he's the king of the ages. To the king of the ages. Immortal. Invisible. You can't see him. But he is for sure real. And his power is evident in all that he's made and in the people that he saved. To the king of the ages. Immortal. Invisible. The only God. There's no one beside him. There's no one like him. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. All of the, when we reflect on the goodness of God, it culminates in the worship of God. And that's what we see here in this doxology. The song I just heard yesterday by Shane and Shane, it says, it's, it's about when it's, it's called, I think, when I think about the Lord. Here's the words. When I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost. He healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how he picked me up, turned me around, how he set my feet on solid ground. This makes me want to shout hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you are worthy of all glory and all honor and all praise. Oh, makes me want to shout hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you are worthy of all glory and all honor and all praise. I want to leave you with two pastoral exhortations. The first one is this, understand that the greater our appreciation of God's goodness, the greater of our, our appreciation of God's goodness leads to a deeper experience of his joy. Understand that the greater our experience of God's goodness, the deeper our experience, sorry, the greater our apprehension, our understanding of God's goodness, the deeper our experience of his joy. As Paul reviews where he has been and what God has done for him. What is he doing here? He's refreshing his appreciation, his apprehension of God's goodness. And as he does that, it results in joy and he experiences the joy of God. How do we begin to, how do we refresh our felt, our experience of God's goodness? We, we know, we agree that God is good, how do we refresh our experience and renew our experience of God's goodness? Well, by reviewing God's goodness to us in Christ. The more we understand, the greater our apprehension of God's goodness, the deeper our experience of his joy. In many ways, this, the, the goal of this message today is to help you and I to refresh our joy in the Lord by reviewing his goodness. As we think over his goodness to us, it does something in us. It refreshes and renews our joy. Ask yourself this. What has God done for me? What has God done for me? Where would I be if it wasn't for the patience of Jesus? Where would I be if it wasn't for his mercy? Where would I be if it wasn't for his grace? Where was I going? Where did he find me? What do I have now?
as we think on that and reflect on that, we've got to be intentional about it. Don't, it's good for us to take time to reflect on where we've been and what God has done for us. There's an old hymn that says, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, all that God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Something like that. Count your blessings. What is, what, what is it calling us to do? Enumerate, identify the ways that God has been good to you. As you do that, your joy will increase in the Lord. You want to experience afresh the goodness of God? Think about, reflect on how he's been good to you. So let me try to say this clearer than I have already. Understand, loved one, that the greater our apprehension and appreciation of God's goodness, the deeper our experience of his joy will be. That's my first pastoral exhortation, is to understand this. To understand that I need to appreciate God's goodness to me. And when I do, my joy, my experience of his joy will be deepened. Second and final exhortation I have for you is this. Be ready to tell the story of God's glory in your life. I'd be remiss if I didn't just stand back from this text and point out to you that this verses 12 to, 7 to 16 is really a testimony about God's goodness experienced in the life of a believer. And Paul testifies here to this to encourage the believers and it's encouragement to us to think about uh, God, the, the story of God's glory in our own lives. Remember, loved ones, you and I are called to be witnesses. We're called to be witnesses. Many times when we think about evangelism and sharing our faith with others, we think that we got to be philosophers. You know, we got to have we got to have an understanding of philosophy and have a philosophical discussion. Sometimes we feel like we got to win an argument to win someone over. Sometimes we feel pressure like we got to have all the answers to everybody's questions. Sometimes we feel like maybe we somehow got to be salespeople to, to get people to buy into Jesus. Listen, none of those things are true. We're not called to be philosophers or argument winners or to have all the answers to be salespeople. Far from it. You and I are called to be witnesses for Jesus, to bear witness to his saving power, his death and resurrection, his perfect patience, and how we have experienced that in our lives. We are called to be witnesses. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. A dear friend of mine regularly reminds me that, listen, if God has done something good in your life, then he deserves glory for it. So you need to tell others about it. That's what I want to challenge you to do, to be ready to tell the story of God's glory in your life. That's what Paul is doing here in this text. And notice he does it for a believer. I think a great way for us to, uh, to tell, a great way for us to grow in our comfort and confidence in telling the, the story of God's glory in our lives is to start with believers. If you're in a small group, ask, ask your small group, hey, can I, I, I want to share with you my testimony. I just want to practice sharing with you, rehearse for you. God's goodness to me in my life, or to share it with another believer in, in our church. Um, uh, we share it with believers. Of course, we share it with unbelievers too. Be ready to, to tell others in your life who God puts there, how God has been good to you, to be a witness to the goodness of God. You say, well, how do I go about doing that? I'm going to give you, uh, going to give you four Ps to being ready to tell the story of God's glory in your life. First of all, prepare. Prepare it. Think through, think through how, how it is in, in two, three minutes. You can just summarize, just like Paul does here, God's goodness to you. Think it through, plan it out. Think about where was I at one time and what did God do and what has God done for me in Jesus? Prepare it. 
Practice it. I mentioned maybe sharing it with your small group or another believer. Practice it. Rehearse it. Maybe write it down as a great way to, to, to practice as well. Pray for an opportunity. Lord, give me an opportunity to give glory to you. And then put it out there. Put it out there. When somebody asks you a bit about, tell me a bit about yourself. Well, maybe that's an open door to share a little bit about what God has done. Well, you know, the most important thing about me is that I'm a person who loves and follows Jesus. And, you know, very simply what that means is that at one time I was going to go on my own way, but then I realized that there's a better way, a better way for me to go. When God showed me that, he showed me not only is there a better way, but I've been going the wrong way. And I came to know and understand that, that, that there's this God who made me to know him and enjoy him, but I, I haven't done that. In fact, I, I haven't loved him. I've sinned against him. But Jesus came into the world to die for my sin. He rose from the dead. And what I saw one day was that I just had to turn and trust in him. And when I believe in him, he forgave me for my sin. He's given me this new life. And my life is all about serving him. Hey, could, could you do something like that? You say, well, that wasn't very fancy. No, I know it wasn't. You don't have to be fancy. You just got to be a witness to the goodness of God in your life. This is a little pastoral push. Understand that connection between appreciating God's goodness to you and experiencing his joy, and then be ready to tell the story of God's goodness in your life. Share it with a believer to encourage them. Pray that God might open a door to share it with an unbeliever. In fact, why don't we just pray about this right now? Lord, as we consider this passage together today, we're challenged, Lord, we're challenged to reflect back on our own lives and think about your goodness to us, and you have been incredibly good. We're also challenged, Lord, about sharing your goodness. Lord, would you help those who are listening to be able to put into words your goodness to them and open up doors for them to declare your goodness, your glory to others. Use them mightily, Lord, I pray. And Father, as we do it, we pray that you would receive all the honor and the glory because you deserve it, because you are good. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.